the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wasteland. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Tune in at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. What a week. So much going on. So many projects and opportunities of life and ministry. It's really been a thrill. We are continuing our way through the books of Samuel, right? Tonight we're going to start in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel and then go right on into 2 Samuel. I think it is the first couple of chapters, right? Chapter 2, 29. More and more into the life and times of King David. We're going to see the end of the reign in the time of Saul. Some historians regard the reign of Saul only as three to five years. Most books put him down from 1050 to 1010, uh, 40 years. But his reign was essentially over in any real sense, as you can even tell from the biblical narrative, most of what we have, the record of his early battles and so on with the Amalekites. That's where he got into trouble with the Amalekites. He just lacked the vision of God. I'm not sure if anybody would call him a bad person. It's like politicians of our time who do not understand and do not accept the idea of American exceptionalism. God intervened in our founding. God intervened in our development as a people, in the formative documents and the founding fathers. God was a part of their lives and a part of their worldview. The biblical worldview got cooked right into the American experience. 
today. Lots of politicians do not understand that, do not agree with that, do not believe that America is in any way different or unique or distinct. We are just one among all the many hundreds of nations of the world. We're not better in any sense, but there is a unique calling. The hand of God is on this nation, on this land in our formation, and calls us to be a certain kind of people. The operative word is a free, freedom and liberty. Let's go to our wisdom and worship segment. Psalm 60. You have rejected us, O God, and broken our defenses. You have been angry with us. Now restore us to your favor. You have shaken our land and split it open. Seal the cracks before it completely collapses. You have been very hard on us, making us drink wine that sent us reeling. But you have raised a banner for those who honor you, a rallying point in the face of attack. Use your strong right arm to save us and rescue your beloved people. God has promised this by his holiness. I will divide up Shechem with joy. I will measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim will produce my warriors, and Judah will produce my kings. Moab will become my lowly servant, and Edom will be my slave. I will shout in triumph over the Philistines. But who will bring me into the fortified city? Who will bring me victory over Edom? Have you rejected us, O God? Will you no longer march with our armies? Oh, please help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. End of reading, Psalm 60. The crowd is kind and quick to pull you. Welcome to the middle ground. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Until now, it's where I... that theme, you make me want to be brave. His love cuts the string and sets us free to be ourselves. A lot of that we're seeing in the life of this young man named David. It does not mean that an individual is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, David never claimed perfection. A number of his writings and psalms actually have to do with his own guilt and his own sin, asking God forgiveness and cleansing. But there is this, in case you haven't caught it as we were going through the life of Saul, I've always been a little puzzled about Saul. He seems kind of like a nice person. He's got a little bit of shyness to him, a little humility, and all of that's good. But we've discovered it's not genuine shyness or genuine humility, at least. As you know, extreme introversion and extreme extroversion are symptoms of the same illness, and that is self-absorption. Some people who are very much self-absorbed and always thinking of themselves, some of them that causes them to be introverted. They don't reach out. They don't speak up because their mind is on themselves. They haven't learned the art of thinking of other people and just relaxing and setting other people at ease. Of course, the more clearly understood response to egotism is extrovert, being loud and boisterous, taking the attention all the time. Sometimes we don't understand that introversion and extroversion can both be the symptoms of being self-absorbed. 
I think that was Saul's case. He simply did not have the vision of God for his own life and for the people of God. He didn't understand God at work in the people of Israel. Israelite exceptionalism, if you put it back in their times. The calling of the people of Israel to be God's people. A revelation of the true and living God for the nations and people groups around them. Well, David has been living among the Philistines, fleeing from Saul. But now we see the Philistines reject him as we start the Bible First life. 1 Samuel 29.1 through 2 Samuel 2.29. 1 Samuel 29. The entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek and the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of 100 and 1,000, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistine commanders demanded, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told them, This is David, the man who ran away from King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years, and I've never found a single fault in him since he defected to me. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back, they demanded. He can't go into the battle with us. What if he turns against us? Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sang in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? So Achish finally summoned David and his men. I swear by the Lord, he told them, you are some of the finest men I have ever met. I think you should go with us, but the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. What have I done to deserve this treatment, David demanded. Why can't I fight the enemies of my lord, the king? But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. But my commanders are afraid to have you with them in the battle. Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. 1 Samuel 30 Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and had burned Ziklag to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in serious trouble because his men were very bitter about losing their wives and children, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase them? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his six hundred men set out, and they soon came to Besor Brook. But two hundred of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with his four hundred remaining troops. This is the Bible, lie, with Soapy Dollar. Some of David's troops found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and some water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, because he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. It wasn't long before his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master left me behind three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites in the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to them? David asked. The young man replied, If you swear by God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. 
So the Egyptian led them to the Amalekite encampment. When David and his men arrived, the Amalekites were spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. His troops rounded up all the flocks and herds and drove them on ahead. These all belonged to David as his reward, they said. When they reached Besor Brook and met the two hundred men who had been too tired to go with them, David greeted them joyfully. But some troublemakers among David's men said, They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, No, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the enemy. Do you think anyone will listen to you when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a law for all of Israel, and it is still followed. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the leaders of Judah who were his friends. Here is a present for you, taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the leaders of the following towns where David and his men had been, Bethel, Ramoth-Negev, Jatir, Aroer, Sifmoth, Eshtimoa, Rakal, the towns of the Jeremiahites, the towns of the Kenites, Hormah, Borashan, Athak, Hebron, and all the other places they had visited. This is the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. First Samuel 31. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, forcing the Israelites to flee. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkashua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines run me through and humiliate me. But his armor-bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, three of his sons, his armor-bearer, and his troops all died together that same day. When the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that their army had been routed and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Bethshan. But when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, their warriors traveled all night to Bethshan and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh, where they burned the bodies. Then they took their remains and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. This is the Bible Lie with Soapy Dollar. The Book of Second Samuel. Second Samuel 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. 
On the third day after David's return, a man arrived from the Israelite battlefront. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from? David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened? David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, Our entire army fled. Many men are dead and wounded on the battlefield, and Saul and his son Jonathan have been killed. How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? David demanded. The young man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. I saw Saul there leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots closing in on him. When he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. And he said to me, Who are you? I replied, I am an Amalekite. Then he begged me, Come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and want to die. So I killed him, the Amalekite told David, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and one of his bracelets so I could bring them to you, my lord. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel, because so many had died that day. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I am a foreigner, an Amalekite who lives in your land. Were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? David asked. Then David said to one of his men, Kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You die self-condemned, David said, for you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. Later he commanded that it be taught to all the people of Judah. It is known as the Song of the Bow, and it is recorded in the book of Jasher. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. How the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath, or the Philistines will rejoice. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, or the pagans will laugh in triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you or your slopes. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. Both Saul and Jonathan killed their strongest foes. They did not return from battle empty-handed. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in fine clothing and gold ornaments. How the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead upon the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you, and your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. How the mighty heroes have fallen. Stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. This is the Bible lie with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 2 After this, David asked the Lord, Should I move back to Judah? And the Lord replied, Yes. Then David asked, Which town should I go to? And the Lord replied, Hebron. David's wives were Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, from Carmel. So David and his wives and his men and their families all moved to Judah, and they settled near the town of Hebron. Then Judah's leaders came to David and crowned him king over the tribe of Judah. When David heard that the men of Jabesh-Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message. 
May the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your king and giving him a decent burial. May the Lord be loyal to you in return and reward you with his unfailing love. And I too will reward you for what you have done. And now that Saul is dead, I ask you to be my strong and loyal subjects like the people of Judah who have anointed me as their new king. But Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had already gone to Mahanaim with Saul's son, Ishbosheth. There he proclaimed Ishbosheth king over Gilead, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, the land of the Asherites, and all the rest of Israel. Ishbosheth was forty years old when he became king, and he ruled from Mahanaim for two years. Meanwhile, the tribe of Judah remained loyal to David. David made Hebron his capital, and he ruled as king of Judah for seven and a half years. One day, Abner led some of Ishbosheth's troops from Mahanaim to Gibeon. About the same time, Joab, son of Zeruiah, led David's troops from Hebron, and they met Abner at the pool of Gibeon. The two groups sat down there, facing each other from opposite sides of the pool. Then Abner suggested to Joab, Let's have a few of our warriors put on an exhibition of hand-to-hand -hand combat. All right, Joab agreed. So twelve men were chosen from each side to fight against each other. Each one grabbed his opponent by the hair and thrust his sword into the other's side so that all of them died. The place has been known ever since as the Field of Swords. The two armies then began to fight each other, and by the end of the day, Abner and the men of Israel had been defeated by the forces of David. Joab, Abishai, and Asahel, the three sons of Zeruiah, were among David's forces that day. Asahel could run like a deer, and he began chasing Abner. He was relentless and single-minded in his pursuit. When Abner looked back and saw him coming, he called out, Is that you, Asahel? Yes, it is, he replied. Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take on one of the younger men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel refused and kept right on chasing Abner. Again, Abner shouted to him, Get away from here! I will never be able to face your brother Joab if I have to kill you. But Asahel would not give up. So Abner thrust the butt end of his spear through Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He stumbled to the ground and died there. And everyone who came by that spot stopped and stood still when they saw Asahel lying there. When Joab and Abishai found out what had happened, they set out after Abner. The sun was just going down as they arrived at the hill of Ammah near Gia, along the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Abner's troops from the tribe of Benjamin regrouped there at the top of the hill to take a stand. Abner shouted down to Joab, Must we always solve our differences with swords? Don't you realize the only thing we will gain is bitterness toward each other? When will you call off your men from chasing their Israelite brothers? Then Joab said, God only knows what would have happened if you hadn't spoken, for we would have chased you all night if necessary. So Joab blew his trumpet, and his men stopped chasing the troops of Israel. All that night, Abner and his men retreated through the Jordan Valley. They crossed the Jordan River, traveling all through the morning, and they did not stop until they arrived at Mahanaim. End of reading, 1 Samuel 29, 1 through 2 Samuel 2, 29. is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar.
thing about David. Yes, he was a very talented individual, musician, warrior, a really attractive individual, and a leader of men. But beyond all of the natural strengths that he might have had, he was God-centered. He really was a man after God's heart. He thought about God, wrote about God, sang about God. God was a part of his life experience. Not perfectly, no, but he was a man after God's heart in that sense. He had a biblical world view. God had revealed himself to the people of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of their history and so on. David knew about that, and David accepted the reality of God's involvement in his life and in his nation, his people. They had a unique calling from God, and David accepted that and walked with it and lived it out. Saul, on the other hand, did not. Saul simply did not have that sense. Sure, he was religious. Sure, he was an Israelite. Sure, he had their traditions, but he didn't catch that sense of an exceptionalism. He was willing to go to the witch of Endor. He was willing to compromise because it just really wasn't that important to him He would be among those today in America that think the Constitution is a flexible rubber document, that it's just there to be reinterpreted, it's there to be changed at any time we want, whereas a constitutionalist, as someone who believes in American exceptionalism, God brought about this Constitution uniquely. It is founded in the Scriptures in a biblical worldview. It has brought us to greatness, and if we will continue to follow it, then it will continue to sustain us as a nation. This same battle is going on in our own nation today about what kind of people, what kind of country America will be. The Bible is relevant to the times that we are living today. You also see the sovereignty of God in this passage. You've got Saul, Eli, David, Samuel, Achish of the Philistines. You've got the witch of Endor. You've got Jonathan and his brothers. The rest of the people of Judah, the tribe of David, and the other tribes of Israel, all of these people involved in this dynamic. And God is sovereignly bringing about his design, his will. David was anointed to be king of Israel 25 years before this. And all this time he has waited patiently for God's timing to see it brought to fruition. He has waited on the Lord. And now we see God bringing it to pass. I was thinking about this. (laughs) This sovereignty of God thing cuts both ways. Sometimes if you're on the right side of it, it works in your favor in terms of blessing. But I was thinking of this poor Amalekite fellow who killed Saul, who says he killed Saul. And he happens to confess that he killed Saul. Remember, this is David who had two chances to kill Saul and didn't do it. But he happens to confess that right after David has returned from rescuing his wife and his family and his people from Amalekite warriors. I'd say that was bad timing. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 